0: Hey guys, welcome to the View from the Front podcast. My name is Stan R. Mitchell and I'm a prior marine and journalist who twice a week discusses military matters while also adding in a little motivation, wisdom, and history. I do my best to cover our military, where it's at, what they're doing, where they might be going, and any conflicts and hotspots that could lead to military intervention. Besides covering this news, I also try to share some motivation and wisdom with each episode, while also working as hard as I can to unite this country. Without question, I feel like our wide division and animosity toward those with whom we disagree is the greatest threat our country faces. So twice a week, I do my best to bridge this great divide while also reminding each of us that most of us are being played by divisive political and news figures who are ripping apart this great country just so they can reach a higher office or gain more followers and add dollars. Most Americans are good, and we need to remember this, always. While we face great challenges as a country, America has stood together for more than 240 years, and it's only by pulling our country closer together that we can pass on a better future for our kids. We need to hold and cherish the beliefs that got us here today. Beliefs such as patience, kindness, and a strong belief that our best days lie before us. These are the beliefs that got us to this point, and they're also the kind of optimistic beliefs that will get us to a brighter future. And with that out of the way, let's get started. This is the October 4th edition of the View from the Front, and we're really glad to have you here. In this edition, we'll be discussing plenty about the fighting in Ukraine, the latest developments about the threats Putin is making about using nukes, and what might happen if he actually uses one. We'll also discuss a way in which Ukraine might end the war quickly before moving on to some news about Iran, an airstrike in Somalia, and a court-martial involving the Navy. We'll end, as always, with plenty of motivation and wisdom. Just a quick reminder, if you love what you're listening to, please consider subscribing. Make sure to visit my website, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. From there, You can subscribe to the show by email so you'll never miss a show. All of my podcasts are free, but if you really want to be a rock star and support what we're doing, you can sign up at my Substack for $5 a month. You can cancel that at any time. Not only will that help make this work sustainable, but it will also get you the Tuesday post on Tuesday. Those Tuesday posts are available to everyone, but they're delayed by one day unless you're a paid subscriber. It's my hope that this small delay will encourage my big time fans and supporters to throw a few bucks in the hat to support what we're doing here if they can. At the same time, it doesn't really penalize you if you can't make that $5 a month payment. At most, you're waiting just one extra day for the content. Thanks again, guys, for all your incredible, fantastic support. I really do appreciate each and every one of you. We'll start this edition with the war in Ukraine. We discussed in the last edition that Ukrainian forces were surrounding the city of Lyman and that Putin had told Russian forces to hold on at all costs and I had shared an image with how Ukrainian uh, forces had encircled the city on both flanks. Shortly after publishing that episode, Putin ordered the retreat of Russian forces to prevent them from being captured and completely encircled. And since that announced retreat, you can see from an image I've got in the source notes just how much progress Ukraine has made since Friday. They've pushed well beyond Lyman, and the map is in kilometers, but it looks like, just by a guess, that they're about 30 to 40 kilometers beyond Lyman now. So, wanted to share that map with you guys. The Washington Post described the news in an article as follows. Zelensky said the town of Lyman, which Russian troops used as a key logistics hub in Ukraine's eastern Donetsk region since their arrival this spring, was completely, quote, cleared of the Russian occupiers as of midday local time, the defense ministry said. The president's statement came a day after the Russian defense ministry acknowledged it had been forced to withdraw troops from Lyman, quote, to more advantageous lines, end quote. Ukraine not only shocked analysts in the eastern part of the country in the Donbass region with its seizure and breakthrough of Lyman, it also caused ripples of excitement when news broke that a breakthrough had occurred in the south, in the region of Kherson. Here's a look at what that breakthrough looked like according to quite a few pro-Ukrainian analysts on social media. Please note these are from sources who are not unbiased, but the information aligns with numerous sources that I trust And I trust this information enough to share it. And so in the source notes, I have images of some maps where Ukrainian forces have burst through Russian lines. Like I said, you can see that map in the source notes. The goal is to achieve an encirclement, as was done last week at Lyman. I've also got a map in the source notes where an analyst has drawn out what that encirclement might look like. So far, the Institute for the study of war, hasn't updated its maps to reflect the latest advances in Kursan. Their their maps are currently reflecting shorter thrust by Ukraine through the Russian lines. I've got that in the source notes as well. But mainstream media, such as the New York Times, are now reporting the breakthroughs. Uh, In a story that's headlined, In Retreat on Ukrainian Fronts, Russia Shows Signs of Disarray, the New York Times wrote the following. Russia's defense ministry acknowledged on Monday that Ukrainian tank units had penetrated its lines of defense in part of the region of Kherson, a fertile plain of southern Ukraine that Russian forces seized in the first weeks of the war. Russian troops are in a precarious position in the Kherson region. The bulk of the Kremlin's forces are deployed west of the broad Dnipro River, in and around the city of Kherson while their supplies and logistical support are mostly on the river's eastern bank. Ukrainian forces have largely destroyed the crucial bridges needed to continue to supply troops with ammunition and equipment. Though the Russians are well dug in after months in control of the territory, a concerted attack could tax their limited supply lines and possibly force and complicate a retreat across the river. At this point, very little, if anything, is going Russia's way. So, Putin has again worked hard to scream about the threat of using a nuclear weapon in the hopes of backing down the West. And while I really wanted to not discuss this over-the-top ultimatum, events have simply given me no choice. So, we begin with this article from the New York Times, which sums up the situation nicely. The article is titled, Russia's small nuclear arms, a risky option for Putin and Ukraine alike. I'll read from this story just briefly. For all his threats to fire tactical nuclear arms at Ukrainian targets, President Vladimir Putin of Russia is now discovering what the United States itself concluded years ago, American officials suspect. Small nuclear weapons are hard to use, harder to control, and a far better weapon of terror... And intimidation than a weapon of war. The primary utility, many U.S. officials say, would be as part of a last-ditch effort by Mr. Putin to halt the Ukrainian counter-offensive by threatening to make parts of Ukraine uninhabitable. The targets could be a Ukrainian military base or a small city. Still, the risk for Mr. Putin could easily outweigh any gains. His country could become an international pariah and the West would try to capitalize on the detonation to try to bring China and India, and others who are still buying Russian oil and gas, into sanctions they have resisted. Attempting to flesh out some of the same lines of thinking, Axios discussed some of the options Putin might take as well as their consequences. In an article titled, U.S. Grapples with Risk of Nuclear War Over Ukraine, they wrote the following. If Putin does use nuclear weapons, he could seek a demonstration effect, perhaps by detonating a nuclear weapon over the Black Sea or in the Arctic, or deploy a smaller-yield tactical nuclear weapon on the battlefield, says Andrea Kendall Taylor of the Center for a New American Security. The U.S. would not likely go nuclear in response, but it could conduct a conventional military strike on Russian soil, perhaps targeting the site or unit behind the Russian launch, and pursue non-military steps like permanently seizing Russian central bank reserves," Kendall Taylor says. Retired General Ben Hodges, who commanded US forces in Europe, has said if Russia conducts a nuclear attack in Ukraine, the US could destroy Russia's Black Sea fleet. I'm stating the obvious here, perhaps, but both of these would be horrendous consequences for Russia. And then I wanted to share one third and final thing regarding Putin possibly using nuclear weapons. I'm sharing this one just because it's just so informative. It was published by The Atlantic, and it's a long, in-depth piece on the threat of Russia using nuclear weapons. It was titled, What If Russia Uses Nuclear Weapons in Ukraine? And it's a long piece, like I said, but first the article explains that there would be a lot of warning time. And I'm going to quote part of the article. According to Pavel Podvig, the director of the Russian Nuclear Forces Project and a former research fellow at the Moscow Institute of Physics and Technology, now based in Geneva, the long-range ballistic missiles deployed on land and on submarines are Russia's only nuclear weapons available for immediate use. If Putin decides to attack Ukraine with shorter-range tactical nuclear weapons, They will have to be removed from an Object S site, such as Belgorod-22, just 25 miles from the Ukrainian border, and transported to military bases. It will take hours for the weapons to be made combat-ready, for warheads to be mated with cruise missiles or ballistic missiles, for hydrogen bombs to be loaded on planes. The United States will most likely observe the movement of these weapons in real time, by means of satellite surveillance, cameras hidden beside the road, local agents with binoculars. I will leave the article for a second to say that presumably at a minimum, once these actions are seen, some phone calls will be made to government officials, possibly even military commanders. But if the U.S. can't stop them from being used, the U.S. will humiliate Russia almost immediately. Such responses include, according to the article, The number of Ukrainian casualties should determine the severity of the American response, and any escalation should be conducted solely with conventional weapons. Russia's Black Sea Fleet might be sunk in retaliation, and a no-fly zone could be imposed over Ukraine, even if it meant destroying anti-aircraft units on Russian soil. Moving away from the article one more time, let me just say this. Clearly, this response is based solely on a weaker or softer type of attack, and all of this leads me to continue to believe that Putin is bluffing. He's the loudmouth bully on the playground who's finally been beaten up after running his mouth the entire school year, and while his classmates laugh and point, he's now threatening to run home and get a knife to use. But it's all a lie because the bully knows if he pulls a knife or even brings it to school, he'll end up in juvenile or jail, and that's the best-case scenario. So, while I might be wrong, I continue to believe that Putin is bluffing, and I continue to believe that the West should not appease him by backing down. If we back down now, he will just threaten to use nuclear weapons again further down the road. But maybe next time it's the demand that Kyiv, Ukraine's capital, surrender or else. Or maybe Putin threatens an invasion of some other country. Appeasement has been shown throughout history that it never works, and at some point you have to stand up to bullies. The West needs to remain defiant and steadfast in its convictions. I do not believe Putin will risk the military humiliation that will occur if he uses nuclear weapons, nor do I believe he can surrender the oil and gas deals he currently has with China, India, and what few remaining trading partners he still has. The West must hold firm and not blink. Let's move briefly away from nuclear threats, back to regular fighting on the ground. I'm going to share one final thing that I'm dying to share, but that also might be too hopeful and too much conjecture. And yet. And yet this guy has been right about so much regarding the war, and what he is predicting, he is claiming, could happen this week. So if I'm going to share it, it has to be now. So I'm going to share this because it's the most mind-blowing, earth-shattering thing I've seen since probably the beginning of the war, and it's the only thing I've seen that could end the war in weeks and months instead of years and years. With all of that out of the way, I present to you what could be the death blow to Russia's third invasion of Ukraine. In the source notes, you're going to see a map. It's created by Dr. Mike Martin, and he's got a series of numbers two, three, and one, or one, two, three, but in order from left to right, it's two, three, and one. It's the final thrust labeled as number three in the middle, above, that's the most important one. So the first one is number one, that was the attack in the east in the Donbass region. Then there was number two in the south, in the Kherson Crimea region, which we discussed earlier in this edition. And Dr. Mike Martin is predicting a number three thrust, and this attack would be by a strategic reserve that hits the middle and cuts the Russian forces into two pieces or blocks. It would sever the land bridge and remove any connection between Russian forces, destroying their ability to reinforce and move troops from flank to flank. Now, I have no idea if Ukraine has a strategic reserve that could pull this off, but like i said you can't unsee this once you've seen this map it's absolutely brilliant so i highly recommend you go to the source notes and look at this map and from 10,000 feet what has happened is you pull the russians to their right trying to stop the advances near lyman you've already pulled them to their left to defend Kherson, which was talked about for months and was perhaps the biggest threat up to that point. And after the Russians put their best troops in the south around Kherson, you rip apart their flank in the Lyman area up in the northern part, you keep them pinned in Kherson, and then you drive right through the middle. And the craziest thing about this idea, besides the fact that it's brilliant, is that Dr. Martin predicts it will happen this week. And so he's making a very bold prediction. And I know some of you are listening and thinking, why would you share this? It's a stunningly aggressive prediction, and I almost feel for him and worry for him if he's wrong because he's put a lot on the line by making this prediction, especially to say this week. And I also almost hesitate to share it. But I also don't want to share it in case it does happen. And at this point, there's literally nothing the Russians can do if it's going to happen this week. They're pinned down on both sides. We've talked about that at length and they lack the time or the logistics to move forces to prevent this from happening. Remember, we're talking hundreds of miles here, plus they're not even sure where the Ukrainians would do this. So using a football analogy, the ball has been hiked, the play has already started, and there's not time to move your linemen around. There's just a giant gap where the Ukrainians could potentially drive through, and let's hope that they do. Let's move from Ukraine back to the subject of crazy escalations again. North Korea alarmed world leaders and made national news on Monday when it sent a ballistic missile over Japan, forcing the American ally to sound sirens before the missile landed in waters beyond the 200-mile exclusive economic zone. In a story published by the New York Times titled, Japan warns residents to take shelter as North Korea launches missile, the international incident was described like this. North Korea on Tuesday, fired a ballistic missile over Japan for the first time in five years. The South Korean military said, prompting a rare warning by the Japanese government government for residents in two northern prefectures to seek shelter. The launch represented a major escalation by North Korea, which has conducted a flurry of missile tests in recent days as the United States and its allies held military drills in the region. The White House issued an almost immediate response, which I'll read part of. You can read the full response in the source notes. But beginning with this, The United States strongly condemns the Democratic People's Republic of Korea's DPRK dangerous and reckless decision to launch a long-range ballistic missile over Japan. This action is destabilizing and shows the DPRK's blatant disregard for United Nations Security Council resolutions and international safety norms. Tonight, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan spoke with his Japanese and Republic of Korea, which, of course, is South Korea counterparts. Um, they've consulted, and they're going to plan for an appropriate and robust joint and international response um, should it be necessary. And then it goes on to some in some more diplomatic speak. Like I said, you can read that in the source notes. But of course, obviously, this. Launching of a missile across Japan was an alarming thing and something they haven't done for five years. I will definitely keep my eyes on this as we move forward. Moving from the topic of North Korea and Japan, let's move to the Middle East and to Iran. We had discussed the protests that had broken out there last week, and so far nothing much has changed. Uh, President Biden released a statement yesterday that condemned the attempts by uh, Iran to clamp down on those demonstrations that are happening i wanted to read just a part of it i remain gravely concerned about reports of the intensifying violent crackdown on peaceful protesters in iran including students and women who are demanding their equal rights and basic human dignity they are calling for just and universal principles which underpin the un charter and universal declaration of human rights For decades, Iran's regime has denied fundamental freedoms to its people and suppressed the aspirations of successive generations through intimidation, coercion, and violence. The United States stands with Iranian women and all the citizens of Iran who are inspiring the world with their bravery. The United States is making it easier for Iranians to access the Internet, including through facilitating greater access to secure outside platforms and services. The United States is also holding accountable Iranian officials and entities such as the morality police that are responsible for employing violence to suppress civil society. This week, the United States will be imposing further costs on perpetrators of violence against peaceful protesters. We will continue holding Iranian officials accountable and supporting the rights of Iranians to protest freely. So I take from that that at a minimum, we will probably be Adding additional sanctions to certain individuals and organizations in Iran. And so be on the lookout for that. Moving from Iran to Africa, American forces bomb militants in Somalia on Monday. I've got a press release in the source notes that you can read the full thing. I'm gonna read at least part of it. We'll see how far we get into this. Uh, US forces Conduct Strike in Somalia Targeting Al-Shabaab Leader, is the headline, and it was dated yesterday, Monday, October 3rd. I'll just read some of this, like I said. In coordination with the federal government of Somalia, U.S.-Africa Command conducted an airstrike against the Al-Shabaab Militant Network in Somalia on October 1st. The strike occurred near Jalib, about 370 kilometers southwest of Mogadishu, The command's initial assessment is that the strike killed an al-Shabaab leader and that no civilians were injured or killed. U.S. Africa Command takes great measures to prevent civilian casualties. Protecting innocent civilians remains a vital part of the command's operations to promote a more secure and stable Africa. Al-Shabaab is the largest and most kinetically active al-Qaeda network in the world and has proved both its will and capability to attack U.S. forces, and threaten U.S. security interests. U.S. Africa Command, alongside its partners, continues to take action to prevent this malicious group, terrorist group, from planning and conducting attacks on civilians. Somalia remains key to the security environment in East Africa. U.S. Africa Command's forces will continue training, advising, and equipping partner forces to give them the tools that they need to degrade al-Shabaab. U.S. Africa Command will continue to assess the results of the operation will provide additional information as appropriate specific details about the units involved and assets used will not be released in order to ensure operational security so there you go that's the uh, press release they're calling it an airstrike it might have been an airstrike it might have been a drone strike from a reaper uh, we may end up not knowing anytime soon or, or never depending on if there's ever photos released that sometimes even the terrorist groups will release photos of winged parts of a missile or something like that. So we'll see if any of that ever gets released. But that's the press release. And you know, we've talked in previous weeks about the U.S. deploying additional troops to Somalia to help stabilize the government. We've also talked about how the U.S. got pulled into Somalia in the 90s. And there was, of course, the Battle of Mogadishu. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that but we did launch an airstrike there uh, on the 1st and it was announced two days later so there you go there's the latest there okay so we're going to move to one final talk a bit before we get to the um, motivation and wisdom portion going back to december we had discussed that the u.s navy had charged a sailor in the case of a massive fire on the uss bonham richard which is a Very large amphibious assault ship that the Navy uses to transport Marines on in fact I've been on an amphibious assault ship spent six months there So I'm very familiar with such a thing. They're a very large ship. They're very crucial In fact, they're almost like mini carriers. They have jets that fly from them. They have helicopters They can also launch uh, The amphibious assault vehicles, which are basically like the tanks that swim that transport Marines to the shore So they're huge ships and can hold thousands of troops and so a fire erupted on the ship they were unable to stop it and after studying the fire they decided that repairs would take seven years and cost 3.2 billion so in the end the navy decided to decommission the ship and they sold it for scrap the reason i'm bringing this up again is that last december we announced that the navy had charged a sailor for setting the fire a fire that literally damaged a billion-dollar ship, so that was pretty big news at the time. I covered it. That court-martial finally proceeded, and lo and behold, the sailor has been completely acquitted, and I feel embarrassed now that I had even published the sailor's name, or put a link to the sailor's name, because it doesn't sound like the Navy had much of a case. And so, I wanted to correct the record and obviously apologize to the sailor that was charged. In America you're considered innocent until proven guilty and you're certainly considered innocent if you are taken to trial and it comes out you're not guilty and that it's now come out that the judge suggested the trial should have never even happened. So this is not a very good look for the Navy. So I obviously apologize that we ever mentioned that gentleman's name. So I've got... A little bit I want to read from an NPR story. The title is, A Sailor Has Been Acquitted of Setting a Fire That Destroyed a Massive Ship. And there's a quote from the gentleman. I wanted to read that. And he says, quote, I can say that the past two years have been the hardest two years of my life as a young man. I've lost time with friends. I've lost friends. I've lost time with family. And my entire Navy career was ruined. I am looking forward to starting over. Prosecutors presented no physical evidence during the nine day trial that the sailors set the ship on fire. While the defense chipped away at the credibility of a key witness, who I'm not going to name, I'm going to black out his name actually in the story, and this witness um, allegedly changed his account over time. So, Gary Barthel, a former Marine judge advocate who represented Mays at a preliminary hearing, said undercutting the witness's credibility was key. Barthol has said the judge in the preliminary hearing recommended against a court-martial, but Vice Admiral Steve Kohler, former commander of the San Diego-based U.S. 3rd Fleet, had the final say. So, obviously, they decided to proceed. So, again, the sailor was, his name is Ryan Sawyer Mays, was acquitted, wanted to make sure I covered that, and this is not a good look for the Navy, I'm not sure if it was politics involved or what, but... I know the Navy and many services are struggling with um, recruiting and with retention, and stories such as this are not a good look for the Navy. And so I have nothing positive to say about the incident at this point, honestly, but did want to definitely correct the record. Man, that story was not fun to report. It's it's challenging, you know, because I will always try to be the military's biggest cheerleader same as I am with any police department or rescue, fire, etc. But when you see something like this story, it's just, it's hard to, I don't know, it's hard to even know what to say. Because to learn that there was no physical evidence, it's uh, its terrible, honestly. So, at any rate, we, um, that is what makes our country great, is the ability that we can... Criticize and improve, and that's what makes our country different than so many others. But it is, I feel for this young gentleman, and um, I know I, I saw some friends in the military who were, you know, wrongly accused of things. I know it happens, it's a big organization, so it's just stories like this, though, man, they're just tough, aren't they? Okay, so we'll go to a much lighter topic and we'll talk about some uh, motivation and wisdom. As I say every week, I'm just going to read these. Uh, You can follow these folks on social media. They're great follows. And let's just begin with the first one. Don't let fear hold you back. No success is possible without some failure. It's a good one. Next one. Success takes time, so don't give up. Another good one on patience, isn't it? Next. Don't give up on the person you are becoming great one. Mindset you should have. I can and I will. Another strong one. If you can't be kind, be quiet. I bet we can all think of some people to that could use to hear that one, right? <sighs> Next one. One of the greatest pleasures in life is doing what people say you cannot do. I like that. I've done that a little bit. There's some people that doubted me making it in the military. Felt good. Next one. Silent people have the loudest minds. Wow, is that one true or not? Don't we all know the the loudmouth in every room who is totally wrong about something but you just don't feel like arguing with him? Silent people have the loudest minds. Next one. Take the risk or lose the chance. That's a good one too. Next one. As long as you're breathing, you have it in you. Never quit. That's another good one. I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. I always think that's a great one to end with. And with that, thanks for joining us this week on The View From The Front. For those who want to know a little bit more about me, here's the short version. I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee, and I left home to join the Marine Corps at the age of 17. I was also crazy enough to demand that the Marine Corps put me down for guaranteed infantry. I served four years in the infantry, saw enough danger to decide I no longer had anything else to prove, and I exited military service in 1999. I earned a degree from the University of Tennessee in journalism and spent 10 plus years in the news business. I worked initially as a reporter, but then went on to start a weekly newspaper. What can I say? Anyone crazy enough to start a weekly newspaper at the age of 27 is probably a dreamer and an optimist, and I confess that I'm both. I owned that weekly newspaper for nine years, from 2004 to 2013. But once it was clear that owning a newspaper wasn't the best path to financial security, I went on to become an author. To date, I've written 11 books, and while I still have my sights set on the tallest peaks in the writing world, I'm now here as well a a twice-a-week podcaster who's still in love with both this country and the news. And I see this podcast as a small way to continue serving our country, doing my best to inform and unite us in a time that we're as divided as we've probably been in a hundred years. Well, I've talked enough about me. I really hope you'll consider at least signing up to be a free subscriber. It sounds cheesy, but every new subscriber I get, and I promise you I get an email for each one, they really do help make my day. And if you can, consider at some point becoming a paid subscriber. Again, you can do both of these things at my substack, .substack stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. As a reminder, please be kind and try your best to love your fellow Americans. Let's all work together to unite this country. And also, please try to be a better person each and every day. Try to be kinder on social media and how you interact with others with whom you disagree. And if you've got a dream kicking around in the back of your mind, go after it. If you have that friend or family member that you know you should reach out to, who you haven't talked to in a few months, reach out to them. And finally, if you're one of those awesome military folks listening out there, if you need help, please reach out to someone. Call a friend or a family member. Do it for us all. We've lost too many of the greatest folks that this country has produced to suicide, so I'm asking you to be brave once more and show some vulnerability. Take a deep breath, breathe, call a friend or family member, one of your fellow veterans, someone who can help. There's obviously hotline numbers as well that you can call. With that, I appreciate each and every one of you, every tweet, every share, every email that I get. I can't tell you how much those mean to me. Also, if you haven't already put a rating on some of the um, social media places that you listen to us, whether it's Apple Podcasts or some of the others, if you could drop a rating, that'd be great. We're trying to get those up because I've heard if you get them up to 30 or 40, then the algorithms take over. So that'd be a great way to help out. Thanks again, everyone. You guys are the best. As always, don't forget to check out my books. You can find all 11 of them on Amazon. And with that, I'm out.